Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Friday. We made it. We made it to the weekend. Uh, the weekend is here, baby, and I am so happy. I haven't shaved all week. Uh, if you could hop in the comments right now and tell me what you think about this gray beard, uh, this scraggly look that I have going on, uh, I'll, I'll be in the comments with you. Uh, need your thoughts and reviews on my scraggly beard. Uh, fantastic, awesome show planned for you today. Uh, we're going to do a potpourri. We got a whole potpourri. Uh, Delano Squires will be here uh, first here. Just stay tuned. He'll be right around the corner. We're going to talk about Serena Williams and why Serena Williams is upset she's a woman and feels that if she was a man, she'd be out still winning tennis matches while her wife was back home, uh, you know, taking care of the kids. And so Serena Williams, a victim of sexism, her whole career has been derailed by the birth of a child. We'll get into that. Delano's also written something about uh, the Mike Hickman story that we've been covering all week. And so we'll, we'll talk about that as well. Uh, then we got a special segment we're going to roll out. Uh, try to do this on Friday, but may do it more often. Uh, we've got something where we're going to call it the free black intelligence most wanted list, the FBI. Uh, and Shamika Michelle uh, is going to bring P. Diddy up on charges that he needs to be added to the free black intelligence most wanted list. Uh, I'm going to uh, don a judge's uh, robe. I got my gavel. Uh, you know, this is going to be awesome. Uh, and so uh, I'll have my white hair. I'll have the whole thing. I'll be the judge and I'll see if I want to issue an arrest warrant uh, for P. Diddy based on some charges Shamika has against him. And then we'll wrap up the show with the Korean Cosell, and we'll talk uh, some sports. We'll talk a little Deshaun Watson. Uh, but we also are going to talk about uh, the Manti Teo documentary uh, on Netflix. Uh, it's a two-part series. Takes about two hours to get through. Watched it uh, this morning and found it fascinating and look forward to my conversation with Steve Kim about that. So a bit of a lighter uh, show today, uh, but a very fascinating, interesting story where we'll talk about Serena Williams, we'll talk about P. Diddy, we'll talk about uh, Manti Teo and Deshaun Watson, throw in a little Mike Hickman and we'll call it a week and uh, get everybody ready for their weekend. Uh, so let's first, uh, let's roll out to Washington, D.C and bring in uh, the man I call the smartest man on the show, Delano Squires. Uh, and I want to start with a column you wrote earlier this week about, and this was, column was about Christian nationalism, but there was a very, the whole thing was interesting, but there was a very interesting uh, passage or segment of the column that dealt with uh, Serena Williams and a comment she made about her retirement. And so I want to read the quote, share it with the audience. Uh, Serena Williams quote, believe me, I've never wanted to have to choose between t tennis and a family. I don't think it's fair. If I were a guy, I wouldn't be writing this because I'd be out there playing and winning while my wife was doing the physical labor of expanding our family. Wow. <laughs> wow. I, and, and I knew that she said it, but reading it in your column, and, and, and this is like the mind game that has been played on American society, women in particular, that they are disadvantaged by being the person God selected to carry a baby in the womb. Uh, they are disadvantaged uh, by child rearing being seen as their primary responsibility. I mean, don't you know, she could be out winning tennis championships. If she were a man, she'd be able to do something important and leave that child rearing to someone else. I, I just read this and just think about just like the my, what's uh, Green has been turned into red, red has been mm. turned into white, blue has been turned into purple, up has been turned into down. That, th there's been an incredible mind game played on the American public. Yeah, Jason, I mean, uh, particularly with, with that um, 
that particular situation with Serena Williams, one of the things I said on Twitter is that the second wave feminists really did a number on on the West, because it's not just in America. I mean, her sentiment, you, you would hear that from, um, you know, a British female athlete or Canadian or Australian. Anywhere where feminism has really taken root, it has convinced women that the way their bodies were designed is a bad thing and that um, any industry, any hobby, any, any area of interest that is dominated by men is where they need to be. And anything, and the one thing that only they can do exclusively, which is, which is carry and birth children, um, is something that they should get rid of. So as I've said before, um, feminism is an ideology that um, destroys femininity in the name of uh, toppling sexism. So it, it was sad to see, but again, the, the larger context of, of my column is that Democrats really are fighting against God and his reality and his creative powers, not, not against conservatives. So there are certain responsibilities that have been traditionally assigned to males and responsibilities assigned to women. And so mm -hmm. it's like men, for the most part, I'm just speaking in general, have taken it like, boy, if things get really bad, we're going to die first. Mm -hmm. And we're going to make those sacrifices and take on that responsibility that if there's some life and death situation, I'm going to offer up my life first. And, and I don't see women running, I don't see Serena Williams trying to hop in that lane. Like, okay, you know, if there's going to be a war, let me, because male athletes used to be drafted into the military. I, right. I don't see Serena Williams wanting to be first in war. Uh, she wants to be first in making money, first in public adulation of being an athlete. But, but I, I just, I don't see these responsibilities. Men going to take more riskier jobs, do harder labor, work. Uh, and if more of a responsibility falls on child rearing to women, I don't understand why they wouldn't see that as an honor and a duty and a responsibility that they would want to embrace. But Serena has been convinced that Wimbledon titles, I guess, are more important than that child she carried in the womb for nine months. Yeah. I, I just, and again, there's no pushback to this. She can say this, and the, the whole sports media and everybody else says, she's right. Women have it so bad. They have to raise these kids. Uh, you know, she did have the option of keeping her legs closed or making a, her husband wear a condom. Uh, she had a lot of other options. So I, I think there's a couple things there, Jason. One, to, to be fair to Serena, because I, I read the entire Vogue column, first time I've ever read anything in Vogue, thankfully. And um, she, she went on to say, like, no, I really, I do want to start a family. It's, she said, I love being pregnant. I was one of those annoying pregnant women, you know, who's always talking about their baby and so on and so forth. I think what it is, is she, she's finally having to, to look the lie that feminists have been telling women for a long time, square in the face, which is you can have it all. But is it, is it possible, for instance, since the beginning of time, did, did women have the, the, the intellect and the physical strength, let's say, to, to build a hut in the 1400s? Sure, it's possible. Um, could women uh, you know, shoot an M16 on the battlefield? Sure, that's possible. But can any man under any circumstance, regardless of his health, wealth, uh, or, or anything else, ever get pregnant? No, that's impossible. So all of, the, the, all of that activity is reserved for one class of people. And the, the women that came Serena before Serena Williams told her that she doesn't have to choose. She should never have to choose um, between the, the function right, that, that her body was formed for and the things that she wants to pursue on her own. But at 41, right, which she technically would be a geriatric pregnancy, I know that because, you know, well, I won't say how I know that, but after 35, they, that's what the doctors will tell you. He's like, okay, you're geriatric. But at 41, she realized she does have to choose. 
And this is something that men don't, you don't, you never hear men complaining about this one because men don't carry the babies. But the other part of it is that men understand that leadership comes with obligations and responsibilities. But again, feminism as an ideology says that women can have all the benefits of being men, but pay none of the costs. So as you said, this is why they never talk about the disparity in workplace fatalities. Because I think over 95% of workplace workplace fatalities are of men. And, and the skyscrapers that we see when we go to New York or Philadelphia or Chicago, everybody says, wow, what beautiful architecture. No one ever thinks, wow, I wonder how many guys died building this building in 1936. So women, um, feminism teaches women to ask for the sun, but only for its light and never for its heat. And, and Serena Williams and the women who are in her position, oftentimes when you hear them, they get together, they, they complain about having to make choices and everybody looks to me and emotional labor and so on and so on and so forth. And you almost never hear men complaining about these things because they realize that, look, this, it pay, you got to pay a cost to be the boss. So when things are going well, everybody in my family eats. When they're not going well, it all falls on my shoulders. But thank God he gave me broad shoulders to hold up under this weight. And I'm not going to spend my life online complaining about it. So that's why you don't see guys getting around in circles talking about how hard it is to do this or do that. And and everybody wants, you know, a piece of me and my time. You know, guys will say sometimes in sports, it's difficult for me to leave my family. But it's it's a if if it's a lament, it's a lament that I don't get to spend more time with my family. Not that my family looks to me for certain things, if you understand what I'm saying. So. I, I feel sorry for Serena Williams because, again, she's been sell, sold a bill of goods, as have many other women and, and, quite frankly, a lot of men. And as I said, I tie it to the larger story arc, which is that that Democrats, even though they say they hate Christian nationalism, they have religious impulses underpinning their ideology. And and their primary one is they think that they create they can create um, reality out of nothing in the same way that God does. So that's why, uh, as I said in the piece, their first fight is always for the dictionary. Um, and I went through a litany of terms, right? You, pregnant men and people with the capacity for, for pregnancy, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, ex-cons to returning citizens, right? Homeless people to unhoused persons, right? Is, is always a fight to control the dictionary um, and in that way, Democrats function in like prosperity preachers. They think they can name it and claim it. They think they can decree and declare and that what they say um, will come to pass. And, and one of the pieces I talk about is in, in the scriptures, the Bible says that Jesus told the wind and the waves to obey and they calm down. Right. You see, there's a couple of places in the gospel. And my, my contention is that Democrats think that they can do the same thing through their climate change legislation. So Nancy Pelosi looks at Christ and he, she says, look, if the, son of, uh, if the son of God can make the weather obey him, surely the speaker of the house can do the same. But what they are finding and what they will find is that God is no respecter of persons and he won't be moved off his throne, no matter how many rebellious people claim to have his creative powers. And, and that's why they get so angry, Jason, when people like you and I don't obey them. When we say no, we, uh, uh, whether you call him Kate Law or Bruce, that person is a man, right? They get upset because they realize that they can't control um, our tongues and they can't make us submit to their, to their language. So um, Serena Williams fits within that because again, she's fighting against God and the world that he created, created in the way that he created it. So, I want to remove a little bit of the politics from it because I, I see this as a pervasive problem that affects Democrats and Republicans, conservatives and liberals, the mentality of having it all. And mm. so I, I, I do think that uh, those of us that are believers and Christians or whatever, if, if we're going to uh, defeat this mindset and, and correct this toxic culture, 
we have to be willing to say that there are, uh, that, that this have it all mentality, which is really just a God complex, because God mm. can have it all. Mm -hmm. Humans cannot. And, and, and it's like when you're a believer, you, you realize that and you accept that and realize there's a bunch of choices you have to make. But, but I'm looking at an entire culture that thinks, you know what, me and my wife are both going to pursue our careers and we're going to have nannies and everybody else help us raise our kids. And, and then we get disappointed with the results, that a nanny isn't as good as mom and dad, and that a second home in Florida and a, and a timeshare at Martha's Vineyard or wherever, all those things aren't more important than focusing in on the development of the kids that you have. And so I, I see this have it all mentality as pervasive. I do think it's most acute with leftists uh, because many of them don't believe in God and there's no humility there. But I see it across the board with people that think they're Christians, uh, that think that they can legitimately have it all and uh, they can have all the wealth they want and they can have every vacation they want and they can have two, three, four cars and all this other stuff and there's no penalty for, for a lack of sacrifice and, and that mentality, having it all, that fantasy world that people uh, leap off into, and, and again, the, the whole have it all thing is at the root of, in my mind, same-sex marriage. It, it's like, mm. oh, I can be gay and have a family and be married, and I can artificially, artificially inseminate this person and that person, and I can have kids, and, 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 and I'm never, have any intention of justifying the stupid, lust-filled, promiscuous lifestyle uh, I used to live. Uh, but one thing I was willing to admit was like, Jay, you're not committed to a monogamy. Marriage ain't for you, bro. D don't do it. Right. Don't, don't take right. some woman down that path. Blah, blah. There's certain things that just, and, and literally I, I crack jokes all the time, it's like, I, I, I never flew coach on Delta uh, when I was bigger than I am now because coach was, just wasn't for me. And so I paid the right. extra price to fly first class or whatever. Not everything is for me. And people have to be willing to accept that. And that only comes through a humility and a submission and, and an acknowledgement that there's a higher power. Everything right. is for him but there's right. limitations for the rest of us. Absolutely, and, and I think um, in generations past, I think men were a little bit more, um, were a little better at being able to understand that they couldn't have it all because by virtue of being male, there were certain things that, that were pulled from you whether you wanted to give them or not, right? So if you have a draft and you, and you have to go off to war, you may not want to do so, but you have to do so, right? So. There's a, there's a certain level of sacrifice. I remember Jason, once I got um, engaged, I, I was talking either to my fiance or wife now, or my, my mom, and I just said, well, this is the last time like my life is ever gonna just be about me. Because I realized, and, and, and I got this from just seeing how my dad operated, right? Where everybody ate off of his plate, right? We, we never raided mom's plate for, for extras. It was, we, we, we raided dad's plate. And even as I got older, I would still do the same, and he would always, he would leave his hands open, he wouldn't care, because that, that was just part of the deal. I will say this, though, the, the way it works for women is quite interesting, and, and you hit on part of it, right, where you said, well, the, the nannies can't do X, Y, and Z as good as mom. I'm going to tell you another piece that frustrates a lot of women, and this may seem counterintuitive, it's when the nannies are better at mothering than mom. Because for a lot of women who have pursued a career relentlessly, they have been so detached from the maternal instinct, right? Where they, they want to be mom, but they don't want to make the sacrifices or do what it takes to function in that role. But they still want the title. And when they go to high school graduation, and of course, proud, oh yes, salutatorian, valedictorian, you know, going to college. But when that child makes a beeline to Consuelo and says in Spanish, oh, thank you for, for helping me out all these years, 
Then mom's like, man, what did I miss out on? Yeah, now, uh, sure, I've moved up the ladder a little bit at my, at my law firm, or I've, I've written some mediocre books, or I've written some, you know, halfway readable columns for the New York Times. But now I realize what this is what I really wanted. These things were really important to me. But I told myself that they weren't important to me because, as I said, I'm, I'm the daughter of the second wave. And every time my, my body, my instincts tell me to pursue something, the women who came before me, the Gloria Steinems, right, the, the, the Audre Lords, the Bell Hookses, right, those women told me, no, you don't need that. You don't desire that. Being a woman in that context is oppressive. You need to pursue freedom. And freedom is whatever the boys are doing. So yeah, so now I'm upset because I want my kids to come and run into my arms. But, but I realize I didn't raise them. I birthed them, but I didn't raise them. So when I get, as I said, when they go to Consuelo, who, whoever, whoever the nanny is, wherever she's from, now, now it hits me for the first time. I outsourced my primary function in life to be a mother to another woman. And sure, I, I got some financial benefits from it, but when my firm or my company is ready to walk away from me, they will cut me without batting an eyelash. And when it comes to my end of my days, the people who I'm really going to depend on, the ones I'm gonna want around me, are those children that I birthed. So I, it's one of those things, and again, I, I'm not making an argument against women in, in the workplace, and obviously any sports fan can say how much they've enjoyed watching Serena Williams play tennis, but it, it's the, the disconnection of, of form and function that you see all across our society is, is, is one that people say is empowering, um, but, but it's really not when you look at it honestly. I'm gonna tell you, the consequences of this have-it-all mindset are just starting to be visited mm. upon this society. Just mm -hmm. start, because it's going to get much worse. And I'm gonna tell you, the, the next area where people are gonna start snapping out of it and waking up to it, and, and they are right now, but the consequences are gonna be tremendous because this have-it-all mentality means people construct lives where we couldn't make it without two incomes. I mean, all mm. that we're doing and all that we're accustomed to, we couldn't make it without two incomes. And where this is really starting to come home for people are the people that have built lives where they can't homeschool their kids. Because yeah. it is becoming crystal clear that there's a satanic cult released within our, the public education system that wants to groom your kids for a lifestyle that will not allow them to reproduce that will not be an imitation of the lifestyle that you and your wife embraced. And, and this, I, I, I look at where the school system's gone, where they failed, what they're focusing on. They're not mm -hmm. teaching kids how to think critically. They're mm -hmm. teaching kids what to think. And, and what, they, what they're teaching them to think is going to cause them to self-destruct. And so all the baby mamas out there that didn't think they needed a daddy, all the baby daddies out there that don't think they need to be married to that woman and building a life together and we can all do it from separate homes and as long as we got Zoom and we got text and all that, and you don't need to be married, blah, 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 blah. Your kids are being educated towards their self-destruction. You're not mm -hmm. gonna be able to pivot and course correct because you've constructed a life where you can have it all. You don't need to be married. You don't need to be committed to that woman or that man and, and in a shared relationship where y'all can really do what's necessary for those kids. And, and, and I see people starting to snap out of it when they're looking now at what's going on inside these school systems. And the only solution is for mom and dad to start educating them kids because the school systems are doing a horrific job of it. Yeah, I mean, by far the biggest systemic threat to, to children in this country is through the education system. And I, and I was about to say public education, but really a lot of the private schools are just as corrupted. It's just you pay a, a higher price to get your kids perverted. So it's one of those things where, you know, this, this ideology, if, if they can't get the kids in the womb, right? If, if the devil misses him there, he said, look, I'm gonna hit my cutoff, man. I'm, I'm in left field, I'm gonna hit my, my, the third baseman, and we're gonna get them before they get home. Um, and, and really to your point, 
if parents are not willing to change their lifestyle and make some small sacrifice, they're ultimately going to have to entrust their children to people who oftentimes do not share their values. And this is crystal clear. Libs of TikTok has done everyone in this country, a, a, we, we owe them a, a debt of gratitude because they are showing what, it, what is actually going on within our classrooms. I'm not saying it's every classroom, but it's enough for you to say, and it's not just in San Francisco and in Miami and Washington DC and New York City. It's all across the country, every region, every grade level, where you see teachers who are committed to indoctrinating children um, into, as you said, a, a lifestyle that won't allow them to reproduce. Um, and and often earlier on in this year and last year, it was about CRT and race stuff. And, and yes, that is a part of it because these, these things are connected. These things are kissing cousins. But, but it's the LGBT stuff that really should worry parents and, and even black parents. But to be quite frank, Jason, you know, sometimes if, if you follow commentary on the quote unquote new right, you'll hear guys say, like, you got to know what time it is. Uh, my issue largely with the black community is that we don't even know what year it is, Jason. So you have black parents who are so they like, yeah, no, we're all for the public schools because they they think that this is, I don't know, 1964 or something like that. Right. And, and they think that that the schools are empowering the kids to go and take on a world of systemic racism. They don't understand that their kids are being groomed, indoctrinated, tenderized, whatever word you want to use. Um, and a lot of black parents just figure either they don't know or if they do know, they say, oh, well, it's just a fad. We'll teach them something different. But the schools have your kids for 10 hours a day. You may have their attention, not them, their attention for an hour a day. Which one of those things do you think is going to win out in the long run? So. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'll say this last piece, I think the left knows that that's coming. And eventually or soon, they are going to go directly at the homeschool movement and say that it's, it is an opportunity for parents who don't agree with them on sexual, sexual orientation and gender identity, to that those parents are gonna do grave psychological harm to their kids and that we need to further, the government needs to further police the homeschool uh, movement and, and the homeschool system so that kids can get, you know, gender affirming care if they ever question themselves. And I'm gonna say this, and I'm not, I'm not saying this, I'm not wishing this to be so. I'm going, I'm describing the coming reality. That type of, of behavior Right. If you see the government weaponize its resources against parents who just want to educate their own children, that's how you're going to get violent reactions from people. Right. It's, it's not it's not that the government is going to come in and steal your property, per se. But if, if you want to understand why the Second Amendment should stay where it is and why every citizen should at least consider being armed, it's because at some point it's quite possible that the federal government is going to send armed agents to your home and say, look, your child on social media expressed uh, uh, a gender curious identity. And we see from your post that you're not into that type of thing. You call Rachel Levine a man and you deny that, you know, gender expression and all of its, you know, uh, beautiful spectrum. And we think it's time for us to take your child for the good of their mental health. Can you come and bring them to the door, please? And if all you got there is a, a frying pan like your Medea, they're just gonna push you over. So it's one of those things where I think parents need to be very clear out, clear-eyed about the, the time that we are living in. And the, the, the government on every level level has set itself as a counter-authority to parents. Um, and people need to, to understand where that goes. We're not even halfway through the end game. It's just getting started. And, and I think parents should understand that. Finally, uh, Delano, and we went a little long with the Serena talk and all that, but it was great. I'm glad we did. But you wrote a column uh, today uh, uh, related to the Michael Hickman uh, topic yes. we've talked about all week, the youth football coach uh, killed in Lancaster, Texas, right outside of Dallas. And, and one of the interesting aspects uh, from that column, and, and, and you can talk about the whole column, but one of the things I found most interesting is you made the point uh, that, that I've been making all week or hinting around. It's like, hey, these sports networks, 
Uh, stop everything. We got to talk about Kyle Rittenhouse. No connection right. to sports. We got to talk about Kyle Rittenhouse and the two or three people he shot and killed in defense of himself. Let's talk about Kyle Rittenhouse. We didn't like the way that verdict went, but Michael Hickman, black man killed, father of three, uh, former North Texas University running back, uh, Pee Wee football coach, virtually utter silence on this issue other than, hey, Aqib Tlaib's brother shot him, let's move on. Uh, th this hypocrisy uh, about, as it relates to Black Lives Mattering, it just, I just don't know, it can't be more crystal clear than through the reaction to the Michael Hickman tragedy. Yeah, absolutely, Jason. And, and like a few other contributors have done earlier this week, and this is my first time being on, I, I want to commend you for taking the time out, right, and, and letting everybody know that you're, you're, you're still, I'm not going to call you big sexy, right, but you, you're still Jason. You still got the journalistic <laughs> chops to, to do real, actual journalism and talk to eyewitnesses and to probe and to question, right? Um, because a lot of these other networks, they're just the people, these personalities are just professional script readers. That's all they do. They just read the script. They come in in the morning, they sit down, they drink their coffee, they get a donut, and the script comes down a shoot, it lands on their desk, and they say, okay, this is what I say today. And, and Malika Andrews says, okay, right at about 12.50, I gotta, you know, get, get the waterworks going and, and, and talk about Kyle Rittenhouse, as you said, who has no connection to sports whatsoever. The only, the only connection that that case had is that that um, the Jacob Blake shooting, which the Rittenhouse uh, riots went on in the aftermath of that, prompted the Bucks to, to boycott a game, which prompted a bunch of other teams across different leagues to, to boycott games. And I mentioned one of them in my piece. But, but for me, it's one of those things where the left is always telling me that silence is violence. And I spent all of 2020 seeing them try to guilt trip and bully um, guilty white liberals and conservatives, for that matter, into affirming the, the BLM organization slash, slash movement. But unless the, the gunman is white, these people are completely silent. I, I, I want to see the Jamel Hill say anything, the Ryan Clark, the Malika Andrews, the Stephen A. Smith, the Mike Wilbon. No one, nothing to say. The one man I'll give credit, and I said it in my piece, is Kendrick Perkins. And he said, you know, rest in peace to this coach and da-da-da-da-da. And then I think Mike Golick, either Mike Golick Sr. or Jr. commented on the Perkins' piece. But that's about it. And this story has it, it – I wouldn't even expect them to say anything if Aqib Tlaib wasn't there. I'm, I'm not trying to blame Aqib Tlaib for the actions of his brother. But the fact that he was there and on the field and according to witnesses helped instigate the fight is a story, Right? The, the, the culture of youth sports is a story. I, I want to see if Snoop would say anything because he's, he's big in that, in that lane. But again, nothing. So for, for these people, um, they, they are silent and predictably so when the, the shooter and the, perp and the victim look the same. But if this had been Richie Incognito and he was on the field with his brother and his brother pushed a black man and the black man... Uh, you know, try to defend himself and Ricky, Richie Incognito, and, and he was the closest guy I could think of, the bad boy. It could be Jeremy Shockey, Bill Romanowski, it could be any of those guys. And one of their brothers pulled out a gun and shot the black man three times. Oh my goodness. The Rand, Randy Moss would he come in with his uh with his snuggie on and say, Oh, we gotta do better. It started it started, it started on you football. But it, since it's not that and it's a key to leave, even, even though he has a bad boy reputation. These people won't, won't say anything. They'll sweep it under the rug. They'll move on to the next thing. And, and this is so patently obvious that I'm not sure why more people aren't talking about that silence as it relates to this particular issue. Delano, thank you for the time. Have a great weekend. Talk soon. Thank you, Jason. Uh, support conservative voices. Subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com backslash fearless and get $10 off. Uh, your yearly subscription. Uh, you can email me and us uh, feedback at fearless at theblaze.com. Uh, you don't want to miss this next segment. Uh, Shamika Michelle, or as I'm going to call her in this segment, Joni Cochran. <laughs>
<laughs> She's gonna try to convict P. Diddy of a crime and make me issue a search warrant. Uh, I'll be back as Judge Jason. session. We will roll out to uh, North Carolina and bring in uh, the prosecuting attorney, uh, Joni Cochran, uh, Joni Cochran, a.k.a. Uh, Shamika Michelle. Uh, this is a new segment. Uh, we're rolling out uh, the Free Black Intelligence uh, Agency, uh, which Shamika Michelle leads. Uh, we'll bringing up a man on charges, uh, are looking for an arrest warrant uh, to put the man on our FBI most wanted list. Shamika, uh, who are you charging with a crime? Your Honor, I would like to bring Sean Puff Daddy, Puffy, Puff, P. Diddy, Diddy, Brother Love Cones. I, a 52-year-old record executive that I believe should be added to the FBI Free Black Intelligence Most Wanted list because it is my belief that he has committed crimes against our intelligence. This week, Your mm. Honor, yes. This week on Instagram Live, which could be described or alleged as a drug-induced rant, Sean Puff Daddy, Puffy, Puff, P. Diddy, Diddy, Brother Love Combs, who moving forward will be just referred to as Puffy because he don't know who he is and I don't have time to keep saying that. He proclaimed that R&B is dead. Now, I'm not arguing, mm. Your Honor, whether this is true or false. I am saying that as a record executive who has been in the business for over 30 years, he has committed conspiracy to murder. And he has insult assaulted our or insulted our intelligence to think that we have forgotten about that. Mr. Hold, hold, hold for one second. Order in the court. Can we present video evidence of the alleged crime? I believe it was a conversation between uh, Mr. Diddy and Timberland, a brother by the name of Timberland. I thought Timberlands yes. were shoes. Uh, no, but it's, it's can an we art. Oh, it's an art. Could, could we present the video evidence of the alleged crime? Yes. For anybody yes. getting on a mic. If you was at church and you when you got on a mic and your ass couldn't sing and you need an auto tune, they be telling you, they be trying to baptize you. They be like, the devil is a liar. Yes, they you know would. Yes, they would. Open it. Everything shouldn't go. Ain't, ain't no old versus young. Ain't no. It's just we talking about singing. We oh, talking no. about R&B singing. And I feel there is, there was a death of R&B singing, and I'm a part of bringing that shit back. And everybody that's out there that that's on some that want to feel some emotions, because I ain't feeling the emotion. B. Okay, that's what I said. I'm, I'm, that's what I said. I'm, I said I'm, I'm I said the tone. messages on the beat. I said take the beat out. I said you you are absolutely right. I said I don't know about the messaging, and it's not coming with that feeling. But I was talking from a producer standpoint. I wasn't talking from the artist mixing it all as a man. Name me five R&B artists that can sing somebody's face off without order to. This popping or not popping? Hey, yo, bro. I mean, I want to. <laughs> 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 I'm talking they say, about okay, real world. We, we, we talking about real R&B. We, we, we just talking about R&B. When I'm saying real, I'm talking about the rhythm and the... You know what? You know what? I think, I think, I think... I'm not talking about the sound. You know what? I'm not talking about the year. You know what? And I'm, I'm about... Mary J... Let me, get, let me get finished. Mary J. Blige came after Shaka Khan and Aretha Franklin. She came after on some new shit, but you know she can sing toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. 
You know that True. that shit is on beat. True. You can't be like giving somebody else a pass because they came now and they turned to dudes and didn't with it and they ain't give you no emotion. That's not on beat. That's something else. Mm. So look, it's this girl named Susan Carroll. I feel like she really sings. She right. she, she she gives me that feeling. She All ain't right. no. She ain't no. She ain't no. Mm. Uh, Joni, can I ask you first, who's gained more weight, Diddy or 50 Cent? And what's going on with rappers and just losing control of their appetites? I guess they're eating real good or drinking real good, partying <laughs> in the club. They're doing something. Obviously, Puffy is not jumping around the stage anymore, as Suge Knight accused him of doing, because it doesn't <laughs> seem as if he's getting much exercise nowadays. So he has gained quite a bit of weight. Uh, and so what are the charges? What are the crimes that uh, you feel like he committed in that video and perhaps in other uh, areas? Well, I just believe that he's lying and he has committed crimes against our intelligence to think that we have forgotten that he has been in a position to make sure that R&B did not die. But he did not do what he should have because he was too busy being a, a rapper, a dancer, a thug, a ladies man, a shyster and a swindler to other artists. We have plenty of people that he could have worked with. He could have worked with Jennifer Hudson. Fantasia. There are other people that sing R&B, but instead of Puffy actually doing what he could have done as a record executive, he was doing all these other things. And in fact, in 2016, he said he was retiring from music to just be an actor. Yet I haven't seen him do anything when it comes to acting. Listen, he worked with Carl Thomas, Faith Evans, Jodeci, and he mentioned Mary J. Blige, who is now 51 and twerking for the camera. He's also worked with Usher and Mariah Carey. Puffy, if R&B is dead, you committed conspiracy to murder. And let me say who else is dead, uh, Your Honor? No, the Notorious B.I.G. And many of us believe that Puffy also <laughs> committed murder for that as well, a uh, conspiracy to murder. So let me just say, Your Honor, in closing, if the, the lie is large, you must charge. If he's full of shit, please don't acquit. Sean Puffy, Puff Daddy, P. Diddy, Diddy, Brother Love Combs is guilty, guilty, guilty. I rest my case. Uh. I've heard your case, but I, I do I do think you left off one of his biggest crimes. And and this is why I am gonna add him to the FBI most wanted list. Uh that Ciroc vodka or tequila that he put out was trash and garbage. Uh <laughs> you left that off, and that's probably why they probably R and B singers probably been drinking too much Ciroc and that's why they can't sing, because that was Garbage. Is that is Ciroc still out? Have you ever had Ciroc? It's garbage. It is still out. And it's he, not one of my favorites. You're right, Your Honor. And he started this trend. Every black celebrity now puts out their own line of vodka or tequila, and Puffy started that mess. Guilty as charged, added to the FBI most wanted list. Puff Daddy, we're coming for you. Thank you, Your Honor. All right, hit the YouTube dot com uh, slash Jason Whitlock. Hit notifications, hit subscribe. I gotta take this hair off. Uh, Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell. Nerks! All right, welcome back. Uh, time to uh, roll out to Los Angeles, bring in the Korean Cosell. Uh, Steve, Kim, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, we both uh, watched the Manti Teo documentary in the last 48 hours, but before we talk about Manti Teo on that doc, I was told 
you wanted to say something about uh, my earlier in the show a conversation with Delano about Serena Williams? Yeah, you know, uh, Delano, it's not surprising, beat me to the punch. But this whole notion that uh, Serena says, well, I mean, I'm going through uh, something that a man can't go through with the pregnancy. I'm like, wow, she's not a victim of racism. She's a victim of biology. And as Delano touched upon, I'm just wondering if Mark Lamont Hill would be like, psst, psst, Serena, it's not true. It's not true. Your husband can get pregnant. But it also brought about to mind, and you've probably been at these press conferences, Jason, where this really accomplished athlete who's so beloved may still have a couple good years left in the tank. They still want to play. They get trotted out at the retirement ceremony. And they always bring out this line, cliche number 84. I just want to spend more time with the wife and kids. And like they're saying it like there's a gun, like right lodged in their back, like say it with more conviction. And and I've really missed them. And I I just have to be there. Then a year later, they're back coaching, living that same lifestyle on the road. So that's kind of like the reverse version of that What's going on with Miss Williams. Yeah, she likes being on the road, probably away from her husband and kid, and she's mad as hell about it. If I was a man, I could be on the road away from my husband and kids. I guess that's her picture of happiness. Uh, All right, uh, Steve, uh, we both watched the Manti Teo uh, documentary. Uh, I think they got a whole series of docs coming out on Netflix called Untold or, or, or whatever, and found it very, very, very fascinating. I'm kind, I had kind of mixed feelings about, am I supposed to feel super sorry uh, for Manti Teo? And it, it did tug at me. I liked Manti Teo a lot, having watched this documentary. Uh, I, I, I think there were some elements that needed to be explored that they didn't is not going to get explored by Netflix because one of my takeaways as it relates to Manti Teo is just like this was a very innocent religious young man who was trying to live up to his religious values and it really wasn't that weird that he considered some girl that he was talking to constantly via text and a voice on the phone, that he considered her his girlfriend. I remember at the time giggling, laughing, and Mm. just having a very secular worldview and like, how's someone your girlfriend and you ain't even slept with her yet? I mean, and, and it's like, well, hold on, man. He's got some religious values and so, having sex with his girlfriend, not a big deal. And then as they walked you through how he mentally, without the game that was played on him to get over the hurdle of never having met her face to face, I thought they did a pretty good job of explaining how that happened. And so this just, to me, struck me as religious young person, very naive, sports and faith were his life and he got taken advantage of. And so I, I did come away from this having a lot of respect for Manti Teo and feeling sorry for him. Jason, I'm with you. And as someone that grew up in the Catholics versus convicts rivalry, I had a lot of fun with this 10 years ago. I certainly got off some hilarious tweets, trust me. Um, and I wanted to even be more critical of Manti, but I thought he came off very likable, very admirable individual, especially the ending where he talked about moving on with his life, and he says, I could still bring light into a lot of people who have great intentions, and I can still be a positive influence in my realm. And I thought that was very poignant, that he understood that his name still has value and that he could still be a role model, because you're right, he was raised very properly. I felt horrible for his parents. But, you know, Jason, he won't be the first and he won't be the last linebacker to fall for the play-action fake, because, yeah, this this was bad. You know what I kept thinking of? When they kept showing Lenny Kikua's uh, Facebook page, they said that she went to school at Stanford, and I'm thinking, wow, she looks like that, and she goes to Stanford? Old saying, Jason, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. <laughs> but it also got me thinking about this. I know it's Notre Dame. But it's still a college. I know there's like ethics violations and certain codes. 
But in 2012, Manti Teo had one of those magical seasons. I mean, he almost won the Heisman as a defensive player. I still remember Notre Dame games where every time they needed a play, Manti Teo somehow, someway made it. And I'm thinking, you're the big man on campus. And look, you live the life of a college football player. I'm sure it went on at Ball State. I'm just thinking, really, a long-term relationship when you are probably, that particular season outside of Johnny Manziel, the most high-profile college football player in the country at a Blue Blood program, that's the thing that I found odd. But again, maybe that's how well-raised and sheltered, and I think that's a key word, sheltered Manti Teo really was. So I was just in this conversation uh, last weekend uh, with a kid that's like, I can't even call him a kid, he's a grown man now, but he's like my little brother in Kansas City, Blake May. And he, ta- he played football at Mizzou. And he would talk about how the athletes at that time would talk about, look, man, there's three aspects of your life uh, while you're in college and you're an athlete. So there's your social life, there's your mm-hmm. academic life, and then he was a football player, and then there was your football life. And he goes, you can't master, you can't be good at all three. He goes, I've seen people good at one of the three, and I've seen some people good at two of the three. I've (laughs) never seen anybody be good at all three. And so you can be good at social and a great football player, your academics are going to suffer. You can be good at academics and a football player, your social life's going to suffer. And so what I see here, Manti Teo went all in on football and academics. And he was busy. And so I think he enjoyed having a long-distance girlfriend that he didn't have to deal with, see, meet her needs, and it allowed him to concentrate on football and academics. And it gave him that excuse and that out. Because once you throw social into there, something else is going to suffer. And, And he prioritized football and academics and, you know, the social thing. I'm sure he looked around and saw a lot of his teammates out having the social time of their life and, and probably saw some immorality in that. You got, I think Manti Teo grew up a Mormon. And so, you know, they, the Mormons, as we've talked about on this show, they take uh, religion a bit more seriously than the, the typical Christian who says, I'm going to do what I want and yeah. you know, pray about it on Sundays. And so I, I just, I don't, Manti didn't hold himself uh, to that standard. And, and so focused on his football and academic life and, and made the best of that. And uh, the convenience of having a out of sight, out of my girlfriend actually worked well for him. Uh, and so then there's the whole question of when he finds out the truth, did he handle that well? And they showed the moment of him on the Heisman stage. He knew at that time that Linnea Kakua wasn't dead and probably suspected he had been catfished, but he still went on with the lie. I didn't have a problem with that at all. Either. Jay, can we be honest? We all would have done the same thing. I mean, he, he may have been the linebacker, but he was blindsided there. But so what you're saying is... <laughs> There are no triple threats in Division One NCAA sports. Okay, that's 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 what I'm getting out of this. There are no triple threats. There may be two third soldiers. There are no triple threats. Uh, the other thing that was really apparent. Well, hold about- on, hold on. Let me stop you there. Let, let me stop you there because I want to make this other additional point. And so, yeah. what Manti Teo would have had to have do, done, which a lot of us disagree with, we've seen guys get married at 20, 21 years old while in college, that buttons up their social life aspect. Now they can con- they can concentrate on academic and football. And there's a lot of us like, man, you shouldn't get married at 20, 21. And so again, he went into this social media relationship deal. It's really not a terrible strategy. Be better if the person, you know, wasn't some uh, Tui Asasopo, who comes from this great line of football player yeah. families, oh, now Ronaya. is like an overweight. Yeah, he, he's an overweight Samoan woman now. Yeah, I, I uh, thought that was it, another like, agenda that they were pushing. I'm like, oh, here we go. 
Here we go. You I, thought look, they pushed it? I had never actually gotten Netflix till you said, hey, Steve, watch that. I may be the last American. Oh. Like, look at all these VHS tapes. Is it really surprising I'm yeah. the last guy with Netflix? So I'm thinking, you know what? I'm really enjoying this. Then it, when they started showing Ranaya or whatever the name, I'm like, oh, God, this is what I mean. This is why I held out. But here's, here's the thing that's interesting. Um, Manti Teo acted or reacted the way everyone would have. Again, he was knocked back cold by this news. Like, wait a minute. Not only are you not dead, now you might be alive based on your story. And then you're not even who you say you are. The other issue I thought was really interesting. Uh, back 10 years ago, Deadspin was still a very relevant website. Uh, for the most part, they were still who they wanted to be. And they uncovered that the mainstream media was very lazy in crafting a very safe Disney-like narrative. And again, maybe we've all been guilty of it as, as media members of going for the easy route. But man, they were a part of this story. I don't know if they were intentionally complicit, but Jesus, they did not do their job, Jason, in their due diligence. Th that was certainly pointed out. I, I, I'm not... I can't be that harsh a judge of it because a uh, guy says his girlfriend dies. My instincts are to go, well, let me check that story out. Did his girlfriend actually yeah. die? Th that wouldn't be my instincts. Who lies about something like that? And so it it's a good look for Deadspin. Hats off to them. They broke that story. It's one of the best pieces of journalism that they did. But I'm not sure if everybody else looks as horrible as, as they would like for ESPN or the New York Times and again, Sports Illustrated. Look, I, I'm a critic of all those places, but I'm not sure if I would have sniffed out this story uh, as much as Deadspin did. Here, my takeaway as it related to Deadspin was uh, Timothy Burke, uh, the, the, who ended up becoming one of the editors at Deadspin and someone I can't personally stand. Uh, a low character individual, and this documentary, you know, paints him as you know some sort of great journalist. But I, I had a different takeaway. I don't know if any of this crossed your mind, but it's like they showed this shack that Timothy Burke is living in down in uh, Florida or wherever he's at, and and the, and then he acknowledges that his background at the before a deadspin was. He was a part of one, he was a hacktivist, working with mm. the anonymous <laughs> hacktivism movement or whatever it is they do. And, and so uh, to me, it was just like, so a guy that unethically is hacking into people's lives and exposing people or whatever, that's who becomes one of the top editors at Deadspin and, and we're gonna cast him as some sort of great journalist. And, and my takeaway on that is this is what I've, always suspected about Deadspin. Timothy Burke is the kind of guy, fit the profile of a lot of Deadspin employees. Uh, and and it, and it goes to that hacking, investigating people, doxing people yeah. through computers and all. And Steve, I, I've said this over and over. I don't know if I've ever said it to you, but I, I think that's one of the biggest reasons why so many uh, ESPN, corporate media, Fox Sports people, CNN, MSNBC, why so many of them all say the same thing is because someone like Tim Burke knows everything about them. He's hacked hmm. into their lives. He's, he's got them by the balls. I've seen so many people that, that I respected afraid of Deadspin, afraid of Deadspin hacking into their lives, finding out what their secrets are, are they in the closet? Are they cheating mm. on their wives? Are they banging their boss? And these guys, they're hacks, hackers, like this Timothy Burke, and they, they blackmail and compromise people. Yeah. And that, that whole era when they had ESPN by the balls is because many of those male ESPN executives were banging everybody they could and sexually harassing everybody they could, and I believe the guys over at Deadspin knew it, either through sources or through hacking emails and all that other stuff. And, and, and it's, it's one of the reasons why, and it, among other reasons, because I just prefer to live transparently, it's one of the reasons why I've been so honest 
about me and my flaws and the life that I lived. I don't want, I don't want to give anybody the ammo to say, hey man, Whitlock portrays himself this way or that way, but I knew this stripper he was living with uh, out in Los Angeles. I already done cop to that, bro. And she liked to smoke weed and I smoke weed with her and uh, blah, blah. <laughs> I just, you know, I just, I'm gonna cop to all of it. Uh, and because I'm t they get people by the balls. Jason, I have another question about this. I thought a glaring omission in terms of who they inv had involved as one of the panelists or talking heads, Brian Kelly. He's the head coach at Notre Dame. Had a really good run, now at LSU. I was expecting somebody. I I'm just wondering if none of his teammates from Notre Dame or the coaching staff from that 2012 season, I wonder, did they all decline to speak out? Because I know they had one of the administrators, which I get, but I, I wanted to hear from some they of his teammates. They had the athletics director. Right, but uh, what about one of his players or coaches? They're the ones with them every day. I, I thought that, I mean, again, they may have all just said pass. I have to give Manti Teo credit, though. If I would have gone through something like that as a high-profile athlete, and a decade later, as I've moved on from my life, and I guess I saw a picture of him with his wife, and there's actually a picture of them together, so I'm, I'm assuming she's real, and it's a real relationship. I'll be honest, oh, Jason. I didn't catch I, that part. I, yeah, Manti Teo's married now? I didn't catch yes, that I part. Yes, I saw a picture. Someone tweeted saying, this is his real wife. And I'm going to assume it's true. She's a very nice-looking girl. Uh, he seems very happy. They're together. I don't think it's a Photoshop, but I don't want to assume anything. But Jason, be honest. If yeah, you were strong. him or in in that situation, <laughs> would you have participated in to relive this whole drama? I know I wouldn't have. Uh, I'm not surprised that Manti did because I think it's part of of him dealing with it, forgiving mm. himself taking away the ammo, if anybody ever sees him again, it's like, I've already dealt with that. It's, it's no different than me and how I try to live transparently and cop to whatever I can. Uh, I, I'm not surprised. That, that, that guy is, as inauthentic as Linnea Kakua is, I think he's very authentic. <laughs> I, 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 you know, that guy literally is like, Man, I, you know, I wish he married my sister, or if I had a daughter, I wish Agreed. he'd marry her. Uh, you know, that's a great young man, and so he's not scared. He's like, oh, they're going to do the story anyway. Me and my parents are going to participate. We might as well exercise some control and leverage over this thing by granting our participation. I do agree with you. It is kind of shocking that... You know, you got a hundred guys on that team, yeah. and you can't get two or three of them to go on camera. If Manti is doing it, you'd, you'd think there's two or three guys that he was. Well, he did have his former high school buddy, who yeah. I guess was a walk-on at Notre Dame. But Jason, that if I was one of his teammates, I would agree to do it just to stick up for the guy and say, "Look, Manti was a great teammate. He was always there. He was not in on it. He's the type of guy I'll stand up for." Are that, I mean, if I'm one of his teammates and I like the guy, and, and by all accounts, Manti was universally respected, if not beloved, there at Notre Dame. I, I would want to. I would want a couple of my teammates to vouch for me. Say Manti was not in on this. He's a good guy. He's just a little bit gullible, but he's learned from this. We've, we all move on. <laughs> yeah, uh, you raised a couple of good points. Let's move on, Steve. Uh, finally. And I, I want your take on Deshaun Watson's 11-game suspension. Uh, this was a mutually agreed-upon deal. What do you think of my take that it's intentionally 11 games and not 10 because they want his first game to be against the Houston Texans and get as much publicity and ratings hype they can off that? This 11-game suspension yeah. just seems real weird and odd. What a weird number to come up with. I think the judge said six, and now it's 11, you know, and, and, and he comes back against the Houston Texans. This seems just like another rigged publicity stunt. Well, first of all, have you thought about the juxtaposition? We're going from Manti Teo to Deshaun Watson. Just think about two polar opposite <laughs> ends of the spectrum. <laughs> There's a yeah. saying in life, Jason. One guy gets too much action and the other guy 
waiting. Yeah, exactly. The right uh, to say the, yeah. There's an old saying, there are no coincidences in life. And I, I'm with you. The judge could have easily said, you know what, that's much too lenient or whatever. We're going to double it to 12. And I'm thinking, okay, I can understand. When I first heard 11, I didn't really know about the schedule. I just said, 11? Huh. I wonder if the judge said, you know what, let's go 10. Nice square number. I wonder if Goodell said, Psst, uh, that 11th game here. <laughs> I <mean>, look, <laughs> NFL is a football show. Here it might be a freak show, but still a television show. And for the most part, any game involving the Houston Texans, and look, we know the Browns without their starting quarterback, like most other clubs, they're probably going to struggle. So there is a very, very good chance that both teams may come into that game three and seven or four and six or worse. So if that was the case, and let's say they played just under normal circumstances, you and I would maybe watch that on NFL Red Zone whenever they scored, and that's it. Now, I don't care what their record is. Deshaun Watson's warming up in the bullpen. Oh, trust me. Trust me. We we are circling that game with the red pen. <laughs> listen, NFL is about storylines. It's like the NCAA March Madness Tournament. You see a lot of brackets where ex-coaches that had left the program under good or bad circumstances, they're playing in the first round, or there's a storyline that both teams win, and all of a sudden it's like two programs that hated on each other, that ratted each other out over a prospect or a recruit. It happens all the time. Again, I'm going to leave you with this. There are no coincidences in life or the NFL. Finally, and just very quick, if you were the Browns, would you try to get Jimmy Garoppolo? Yes, under a one-year deal. Because, look, Jacoby Brissett's a pretty good backup, but he's a backup. And if you have that franchise to a place in that roster where the Browns think, hey, we can win. We've got a lot of talent. We've put a lot of uh, product and money into this. We need somebody that's going to keep us afloat. Now, maybe that is Brissett. But Jimmy Garoppolo is actually a winning quarterback, if that's a stat. I know there's a big argument, but last year he was injured. I, I, I thought there were obviously times where he missed throws, and that could have been a, a direct result of that. But if he's under the presumption that I'm not the long-term starter and I'm going to hand off the baton in week 11 or week 10, um, yes, I'd bring him in. I'd, 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 I would at least kick the tires on the idea. Thank you, Steve. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. I hear tomorrow. Hey, uh, before we go, and tomorrow's playing, and we're getting out of here. What do you think of me in the uh, judge's robe and the white hair, white beard? We'll see you tomorrow. We'll see you next week. Striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation. We all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone. I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back. We are receiving all the seed when we all wanna be free. We want freedom. I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just